Welcome to the Christian Worship Center podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you. Visit us online at cwcbayarea.com for service times and directions. Not that I uh, ever like correcting Pastor Dan, because I uh, respect and love him so much. But one thing that he said I want to make a correction on, that uh, I want to make it clear that it was not by an accident that, uh, that Pastor Benjamin couldn't show up that day um, 15, 16 years ago. I truly believe it was by divine intervention that uh, Pastor Dan was the person that was sent. And I think that's one of the things, and we'll share a little bit today that I want to get across, that all the things that we're going through today all of the trials and tribulations that we all face, and I say that we all face, uh, all of the issues that we have to deal with, none of it is by accident. It truly is by divine intervention. Now, some of the things may not show up until 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 30, 40 years later. But the way God works in his time and in his season it shows up. So I think it was designed for me to stand before you here today on May 3rd of 2015, even the day that Pastor Benjamin couldn't show up to do our chapel at the Rams. That was two teams ago and many years ago, but it was designed for me to stand here before you today. I love Pastor Dan, I love Angie, and I love you all at this church. I read something uh, early this morning that the average human being has to make 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions a day, and the average child has to make 3,000 because we as adults and parents make a lot of decisions for children which is the part of the problem that we have in society today, but you all have to bring me back to have me talk about that. But, but just to think that every day, today, every one of us in here is going to make about 35,000 decisions. Some of those decisions are really insignificant. I mean, if you think, you know, I thought that's not true, but if you think should, you know, how long you wash your hair for or, or do you start brushing your teeth on the left side or the right or what are you going to order for lunch or what? Socks are you going to put on? What shoes? What time are you going to leave from work? Are you going to park in this parking space? Are you going to scoot over? Are you going to let this person in? Are you combing your hair to the left or to the right? Or whatever the case may be, 35,000 decisions. And some of those decisions really are irrelevant. What you order for lunch or if you ate breakfast or didn't eat breakfast or if you wake up at 6.01 or 6.03, those are all decisions. Some of those are, are somewhat irrelevant but there are some decisions that really will change your life. And so that's why today we, we, we decided to call our opportunity to spend time together really decision time because it really, it really is it's decision time. And it's an interesting day. You know, there's some people have said yesterday was the greatest sports day in all of sports history. You know, it was the, the third day of the NFL draft, which we finished and and I was able to, to fly here to be with uh, you all today. But it was the third day. So there were a lot of decisions that people in our organization, our general manager and coaches, made, our scouts, to decide who we were going to draft these last three days. Every one of those decisions will impact a young person's life, a young man's life, a football player's life. Not only their life, but it will impact their family's life. So decisions that were made by teams these last three or four days will impact who a person marries. It will impact, therefore, who they marry, who they have kids with. It will really, the decisions that the last three days occurred during the NFL draft will impact society in various ways. Then there was decisions last night about the Mayweather and Pacquiao fight. Um, which I saw the highlights on ESPN early, early this morning. But there were decisions that the judges had to make decisions, how to score the fight. 
There was Kentucky Derby. There were all kind of events that occurred these last couple of days, the NBA playoffs, referees, coaches had to make decisions. So we all deal in a world of decisions. And again, some of them are really important. Some of them are not important, although we may think they're important, but they don't really change the direction of your life. So I want to spend just a few minutes with you about decisions that really set the tone for your life and change the direction of your life. So if you have your word with you, if you don't, we have it on the screen. So I want to spend a little time with you from the book of Mark, and primarily starting with verse 21. But let me set the tone for you, because I think this is important. In the book of Mark, starting with first verse all the way up to verse number 20, that's the story about the demon-possessed man that was healed. And that's a whole other sermon. I'm sure Pastor Dan has preached on that. And uh, it's an incredible story in the book. So if you have time to go back and read it. But I'll, I'm going to summarize it for you because it's important to set the tone as far as what we're going to talk about today. Basically, there was a, a boy, a man, who had been possessed by demons. Some people say that it was up to 2,000 demons that were in him. And he had, a, had a, a, an opportunity, a blessing to meet Jesus. He was running around great graveyards, uh, half-clothed, bug-necked some days. They said he was cutting himself with stones. He had some major, major issues. He was possessed by demons. Had an encounter with Jesus, pleaded with Jesus to basically remove him from being possessed by these demons, remove these demons from him. They even called him Legion. That was his name. Jesus got the demons out of him. They ran into some pigs, and they said the pigs basically ran down a mountain into a body of water and drowned. And at the end of that story, and this is a whole nother sermon, is that they said for the first time that this man was fully clothed and in his right mind. He was acting normal. And what's interesting about it, and if you have time, uh, that you should go back and look at it. In verse 15, it says that they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. He was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. But what's powerful, it says, and they were afraid. It said the people were afraid when this guy ended up getting in his right mind. They weren't afraid of him when he was demon-possessed, when he was running around half-naked, cutting himself with stones out of control, out of his mind. They weren't afraid. They said when he got into his right mind and looked like he had gotten his life in order, they got, a, they got scared of him. So I want to make sure I point that out. And I'm, every time I point something out to you, I'm pointing it out to myself. Is that we got to realize that a lot of people are willing to deal with us when we're not in our right mind, that they actually feel more comfortable. They almost actually want us to be out of our mind and doing things that we shouldn't be doing, and they're more comfortable with us than when we are in our right mind. So this guy had 2,000 demons. I don't need to tell you how he was acting if he had 2,000 demons in him. But he was not in his right mind. But when he was fully clothed and in his right mind, doing what he should be doing in a manner that was proper, it said the people, his, not only his friends, the people where he was from were scared of him. So one of the things I want CWC to remember as you go forward in times that a lot of people who may look that they're being supportive of you really are supportive because you may be acting not in your right mind, if you know what I'm saying. On the flip side of it is that when you get in your right mind or stay in your right mind or do what you're supposed to be doing, there were some people that will then become fearful of you. So to close that out, all of a sudden, if, if, if you're staying in your right mind and doing what you're doing, there may be a set of people 
that the tension may exist with them, and they'll get afraid of you. They get scared because they know that you're in your right mind. Because if you're in your right mind, that's when the good Lord can really start working on your talents and let all of your talents come out. So I know this is what not, I didn't come here to talk about today, but I wanted to set the backdrop for you because after Jesus healed this man who was not in his right mind and Jesus was able to get the demons out of him to get him in his right mind, this is where the story starts. So he finished healing this man, saved this guy's life. Matter of fact, this guy wanted to actually start traveling with Jesus and he said, no, you need to stay here and basically, you need to basically go show off, not show me off, but you need to go show off to show people that God is in control and that God has taken over your life. Go give your testimony. And so one thing I want to leave you with today is that when all of us at some point in time in our life have been not in our right mind, when the good Lord puts you in your right mind, it's important to share that story. Don't keep that quiet because he wants us. So God didn't want him to go with him. He said, you want to basically go share the story. This is where today starts. So after Jesus finished that, he gets in the boat, goes to the other side. And this is when the story begins. In verse 21. So he says he's crossed over, goes to the other side. And a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And when he got on the boat, and I want to make sure I pronounce this gentleman's name right, there was a gentleman standing there by the name of Jarius. Jarius, Jarius, we can call him Jay, whatever the case may be, but he was standing there at the boat. One thing I want to make sure that we understand today, and when he was standing there because his daughter was deathly ill, actually thought she had died, is that when you have issues in your life, there's things that I'm dealing with right now, issues in my life. You have to make sure that you go meet Jesus when he gets out of the boat. Okay, this guy had some problems. He had his little baby girl who was sick. And, and, and he knew that Jesus was the only person who could basically heal him. So he did not wait for Jesus to get out of the boat, walk the shore, do what he was supposed to do. What did he do? He met him at the sea. Basically, the moment Jesus' feet hit the ground on the shore, Jairus was there. And it said that when he saw him, meaning Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and live. So when you have issues that you're dealing with, you can't be shy around Jesus. You can't be shy around Jesus. You got to go meet him at the boat. And this is not current time where he was able to go on CNN or he was to go on, on a GPS system or they had cell phones and people called ahead and said, hey, Jesus just healed this demon-possessed man. He just got in the boat. He should be there probably in about four hours or three hours or 45 minutes or two days or whatever. The Bible doesn't even talk about how long the boat ride that Jesus took to the other side. It could have been 15 minutes. It could have been four hours. He could have stayed out on the water. But the fact of the matter is, is that when Jesus arrived to the other side, Jarius was there. So when you're dealing with issues, which we all do, is that we need to make it very clear that we're going to be there when Jesus gets off the boat, waiting for him. So Jairus was there. Jesus got off the boat. He fell on his face. He begged him <coughs> and said, I have a little daughter who's basically lying at the point of death. And I need to have you come and lay hands on her so you can save her. I need you, Jesus. And what did, what did in, 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 in verse 24, it says, Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him 
and thronged him. I looked up the word throng. That's like a mob. That means it was a lot of people. What this basically says, I'm just going to simplify it, second grade, first grade, is that this man had a daughter who was dying. And he knew that the only person who could help heal his daughter was Jesus. So what he did, he says he found out that at some point in time he had heard that Jesus might be coming over to where he lives. And he made it a point that he was going to be there when Jesus arrived. So whether he set up camp, whether he lived there, I don't know how long he had been waiting, but he was obviously waiting. It didn't say that he arrived 30 minutes later after Jesus arrived. Or that he, waited, he, he arrived two days later. Or he was an hour later. He was on time. He was there waiting to greet. He was part of the greet team. He was there waiting to greet Jesus. Yeah. So he got a chance to connect with Jesus. He said, my daughter's dying. I need you. You're the only person who can save my daughter. And it says it was a great multitude, a throng of people. That means it was a lot of people. It was like the Pacquiao Mayweather fight. I mean, this wasn't just a a handful of people. It was crowded. But he was the first one to meet them when he got off the boat. Jesus gets off the boat. Jairus begs him to go to his house. And I truly believe there, and this is a great lesson, when the good Lord realizes that our heart is sincere and that we're serious about him and that we recognize that he is the only one who can help us, to solve some of the issues that we're dealing with or to get us to where we want to go to or to get us to where he wants us to go to, and he sees that we're serious, that he'll walk with us. And so it says right there that Jesus went with him. It didn't say that he went with Jesus. Jesus wasn't telling him, come walk with me. He asked Jesus to walk with him, and that's why it says, so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and thronged him. So this guy went to Jesus and said, you got to save my baby girl. Jesus followed him, went with him, and then the multitude followed them. The story even gets better. In verse 25, this is the woman who had the issue of blood that, that maybe you've read about and pastor has preached about, but there was a lady, a woman, who basically had her Menstrual cycle for 12 straight years. 12 straight years. And they said that she had gone to many doctors, not a few, not one, but she went to many doctors. Many doctors. And as you know, to be able to go to a doctor, especially in this time, that means she had some money. She had some money. She had some cachet. She knew some people. She went to many doctors and said that she spent basically her entire life savings to go get healed from this issue of blood. It had lasted for 12 consecutive years, 12 consecutive years. And in here, in verse 29, and we'll go back a little bit, this just wasn't just a light major issue They called it the fountain of her blood. (coughs) That means this was a heavy, heavy issue that she was dealing with for 12 years. And because of that, they wouldn't let her. There are places that she couldn't go. There are places that she wasn't allowed. There are people she wasn't allowed to associate with. So she was one of the many people who was in the crowd when Jesus, after he healed the man who had been filled with demons and came across to the other side. So she, like Jarius, was serious about getting healed and her faith too. So not only one person, but it was two people. But what's interesting, it was a multitude of people. It was throngs of people. It was crowded. But these two people were serious about getting their life in order. What's interesting is Jairus was head of the synagogue. So he had a lot of power there. So they probably knew each other. You know, in those times, people didn't have cars, so it's not like they were running around and going from Minnesota to San Jose and back and all that stuff. You kind of operated where you lived. And I guarantee you this woman who was a woman of faith, because for her to be there to see Jesus, and he's head of the synagogue, they had had some interaction with each other. But these were two people who showed up to meet Jesus. 
So she ends up showing up, and she ends up saying that if I could just touch the hem of his clothes, touch his garments, that I'll be healed. This is a woman who's been bleeding consecutively for 12 years. I don't have to tell you how weak she was. She probably didn't feel good. She probably didn't feel fresh. She was weak. She was not popular. But for her to be able to press herself through these entire crowds to get to Jesus, that means she was serious. Her mind was right. So she had to press through all of these thousands of people to get to Jesus. But her faith was so strong that she felt that if she could just touch his clothes, that she would be healed. Just to touch his clothes, not meet him. And I get an opportunity in my job. The good Lord has blessed me beyond even my wildest dreams. I get a chance to meet people. I had a chance to spend time with Warren Buffett last year. We played the Detroit Lions. We walked on the field. We had a group of people with us, and they all that we took on the field were running toward the players. And I noticed Warren Buffett on the sideline. He was there as a guest of Indomitian Sioux because they're from Nebraska. And so I went to him because he's someone on my bucket list that I wanted to meet. Got a chance. And ended up having a chance to spend probably 10 or 15 minutes with him to talk with him. We'll follow up with him. I told him I want to buy him lunch, to sit down, just to pick his brain, just questions. But I know a lot of people will be interested in going to a meeting to sit down with him. But then there are some people that say, well, if, I don't, if we don't know that he's going to meet, or if I'm not going to get a one-on-one with him, or to be able to spend time with him or whatever, I really don't want to, I don't want to make the trip. There was no guarantee that either Jairus or this woman we're going to have an opportunity to even get close to Jesus. But their faith was so strong that they knew that they were going to take that chance. And sometime in their life, I know the good Lord is speaking to me about certain issues, and I don't know, maybe I'm the only one he's talking to now, but I know there's certain things that he's probably talking to people in here to say, you got to take the first step. There's not a guarantee that you may be able to take a picture with Jesus. There's not a guarantee that you may be able to sit down and hang out. If she had had her mind made up to say, unless I get a one-on-one with her, I'm not going to make that trip there because I'm tired. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I've spent all my money. i got to take another day off of work. And if, if there's no guarantee that I'm going to get some one-on-one time with Jesus, then I'm just not going to go. Wow. She didn't do that. And I think some of the greatest things that happen in life is when people have unplanned opportunities. So many times we've been trained in our life that we got to plan out. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big planner and I believe in planning. And it's important to plan. It's important to have schedules. But some of the time, especially when you know that the good Lord is working and moving, you got to throw your plans out of the window. Because you can sometimes plan yourself out of blessings. And be careful that you don't plan yourself out of a blessing. And if you think about it, because this lady had been sick and had been bleeding, she knew that realistically speaking, she did not want to have an opportunity where people were going to notice who she was and what she's doing. Let me say it a different way. She basically used the confusion of the day of the crowd to her advantage. Are you... you, you all with me? And so many times we will think that the confusion or the crowd or the complication of issues that sit before us, we will look at that as an obstacle. And this story, true story in the Bible tells us that when you have a focus on Jesus, that really is the opportunity that God wants us to use to get close to him. So, but for the crowd, but for the throngs of people, but for all the noise and all the commotion, she would not have had a chance to get close enough to touch Jesus. Because even if she had gone and used her resources and called in a favor 
to get a one-on-one with Jesus, someone probably would have stopped it. Because they would have then had an opportunity to go to Jesus and say, hey, wait, look. Man, this lady's been bleeding for 12 years. She's not allowed to go certain places. She's an outcast. You don't want to talk with her. So sometimes in life, you really need to look for your opportunities in the crowd. Because when you get in the crowd and there's a lot of commotion and a lot of confusion, even in that environment, if your mind is right and if your mind is focused on getting close to Jesus, that crowd and confusion really will be your opportunity for a breakthrough. I've read a lot of articles about security breaches. And people always talk about that the easiest time to break into a building where you shouldn't be or to sneak into the game. I've read articles that said the easiest game to sneak into is the Super Bowl. Even harder than a regular season game because there's so many crowds. There's so much confusion. There's so much going on. People are overwhelmed that if you act like you're supposed to be there and dress appropriately and look important, that people will let you just kind of go where you want to go. And that's what happened here. This lady was tactical and knew she got wind that Jesus was going to be in town. And she knew it says she had spent all of her money. So she has seen every physician. She has spent all of her money. This was literally her Hail Mary. This was, it was like two minutes left on the clock, and she was down by three touchdowns. She threw the playbook out and said, the only way that I'm going to get healed is I got to use that crowd to my advantage. And she did it. One of the things I want to challenge everyone here today is look for those opportunities in your life that you have been shying away from based upon they looked hard, they looked crowded, they looked confusing, but really it was the good Lord providing you with an opportunity to show your talents and to break through and to do what he called you to do. So as you say your prayers tonight, I want you to really look in your heart and ask God, what are those opportunities that you have stayed away from because it looked crowded? And are there any of those opportunities that exist, whether that's going back to school, starting a business, getting a record deal, that basically that the crowd has caused you to stand back when really is the crowd is really your opportunity to move forward. I ask myself that every morning, Lord, in all this imperfection that I face every day, please give me your wisdom and your guidance to let me know when I can use the imperfection and the roar of the crowd to my advantage to get closer to you. That's my prayer every day. Embrace the crowd. That's one of the things because there's so much talent in here. There's so much talent at CWC. There's so many businesses that have been written in people in here's heart and in your mind. I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. Ideas that you all have been sitting on for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years that you haven't been able to do or chose not to do because so many people told you that the crowd was too big, that it wasn't going to work. You're not going to get what you need to get because the crowd is too big. There's geniuses sitting right in this room today. I'm not talking about across the hall. I'm talking about right in this room. I guarantee you there's people in here right now. I know there's people that I'm speaking to 
that have had that God has put something in your heart that has given you the talent and the resources to do this that you haven't done because of fear of the crowd. And I'm asking and I'm praying that today that the good Lord will release whatever's in you to have those talents, whether it's business, whether it's writing a book, whether it's writing a poem, whether it's writing music, whatever the case may be. There may be another Michelangelo in here who really paints and who has all the talent in the world. But when you paint your paintings, you put them up under your bed. You don't share them with anyone because the fear of the crowd. Embrace the crowd. One verse that I want to point out to you is verse 31. As this lady was walking through and pressing her way through, a weak lady, she just says, if I can just touch Jesus' clothes. And as soon as she touched it, it said the power, Jesus felt power go out of him and into her, and her fountain of blood immediately stopped. And he turned around and asked his disciples, I didn't make this up, I didn't write it, so don't believe me, read it. What does it say? He immediately knowing himself that the power had gone out, he asked his disciples, who touched me? And what did they say? Verse 31, his disciples said to him, you see the multitude and the thronging, and you ask us who touched you? One thing I want to point out there, there are some issues in your life that you can't rely on other people solving for you, that Jesus is the only person who can solve it. These are his disciples. So these are the people that really spend the most time with Jesus. And they literally loud talked him and said, how dare you ask us who touched you? Basically, they were saying, don't you see all these people here? Now, how are we going to know who touched, who touched you? But what's interesting, the lady with the issue of blood didn't say, if I could only tell a disciple that I want to touch Jesus, then I'll be healed. Or she didn't say that if I can give a note to a disciple and he can give the note to Jesus, then I'll be healed. Or she didn't say, if I can touch the disciple who hangs out with Jesus, then I can be healed. Or she didn't say, if I can tell a disciple to tell Jesus that I really wanted to touch his garment, then I could be healed. What did she do? She said, if I can touch his garment, I will be healed. So even some people who are really close with Jesus, there's certain issues that you really got to take and get to him. So she touched his garment, she was healed, and this is when the fun begins. What am I doing on time? I got five minutes, Pastor? Okay. This is when the fun begins. There's so many sermons in this. Is that I want us to go to uh, verse 35. So after he healed this lady by just touching his garment, it says that while he was still speaking. So let me set the tone. Jesus basically heals this person, has all these demons. He gets in a boat, goes to the other side, gets off the boat. Jairus is waiting there for him, says, my daughter's dying. Will you go with me? He says, absolutely. Your faith is strong. They're walking together to his house. In the interim, this lady with the issue of blood intervenes and says, I've got this issue of blood for 12 years. I got to touch his garment. She gets through the crowd, presses through all these people, touches it. She's healed. But they're walking toward Jairus' house. One thing you got to notice, a person like Jairus had a daughter who was dying. I think one of the reasons why Jesus continually healed this woman with the issue of blood but kept walking with Jairus is because he knew that Jairus was serious and respectful. He met him at the boat. 
he knew this other lady had an issue. Now, a lot of people, me included, if somebody jumped in line, if I, I basically connected with Jesus, asked him to go to my house because my daughter's dying, he's agreed to go to my house, and then some other person's going to jump in front of me and start saying, well, I now got other issues. I may say, you know what? If this, if this goes like this, he may end up going with her, and he may not make it to my house. I'm going to be selfish. Jairus never complained. He just kept walking. But it says before Jesus, while he was still speaking, some came from the rulers of the synagogue's house, came from Jairus' house, and I want to get to this, came from his house, and they yelled out in verse 35, your daughter's dead. Why are you troubling the teacher any further? What they were basically saying is your daughter's dead. We were just at your house. Why are you even asking Jesus to keep walking with you? Your daughter's dead. This were, these were people that were in Jairus' house. Now, if they cared about Jairus, first of all, they didn't pull him to the side. They didn't whisper it in his ear. They didn't say, Jairus, we need to pray because your daughter is not doing well. They yelled out, it says, why Jesus was still speaking. They yelled out, your daughter's dead. Why are you wasting the time even talking with him? In verse 36, it says, as soon as Jesus heard the word was spoken, he told him, don't be afraid, only believe. This is where he got serious. At that point in time, he said, these are some foolish people. Now, this man met me at the boat, let me heal this other lady with the issue of blood, didn't complain, still walking with me, and these fools who have been at his house eating his food and hanging out run up and blurt out, your daughter's dead, why are you even talking to Jesus? So what does this say right there in verse 37? And he said, he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and they kept walking to the house. So basically, Jesus said, look, I got to get serious here. I'm only going to have three disciples, Peter, James, and John, uh, Jairus, Jairus' wife, and that's it. It said that they, when he got to the house in verse 39, there was commotion. There were people weeping, uh, crying, wailing. And it says in verse 40 that they ridiculed Jesus. And what's the next couple words that it says, which I, which I love? And it says, but when he had put them all outside. Jesus got to the house. He went to save this girl for this man who met him at the boat, who was loyal, who was faithful. And when he got there, people were wailing and crying and weeping. And it said he put them out. It's, it didn't say that he asked them to leave. He said that he put them out. One thing, CWC, I want to tell you all today where you are is that there's some issues in our lives that we got to put out. We can't ask them. To, it didn't say he asked them to leave. What he said, for me to save this young girl's life, for this man who's been a loyal servant, who's the leader of the synagogue, who met me at the boat, who walked with me, who let me heal this other lady and never complained for me to do that, I can only have the people with me that I know are really with him. So I'm going to have Peter, James, and John, the, the father, the mother, and that's it. And for you all to really go to greatness, the good Lord is speaking to me right now to say, Kevin, you think I've blessed you with a healthy wife and a healthy kid and resources and a great career. You think what you've seen is great, but there's so much more out there I have for you. But you got some stuff in your life that you got to put out. Because in order for me to work in your life, you got to put it out. I read something that was amazing in preparation for coming out here, and I never knew it, that in this time, that people, mourners and wailers, were paid. People would pay them to come and mourn and wail when people were sick at the funeral because the more mourning and wailing that went on, 
the more power is showed that you had and the more money that is showed that you have. So you knew someone was important or was rich when you would go to their funeral or their house and they had a lot of mourners and wailers. But what you got to realize, there are a lot of people in your life that want to keep you in a state of mourning. Not one time when they got to the house did it say that the mourners and wailers prayed for the girl, prayed for the family. It said they kept mourning and wailing. They said that why are you even bothering Jesus about that? And it got so crazy that Jesus had to put them out. And what this word was saying to me is for us, not you, not I'm not telling you or talking at you. I'm talking for us, me included. Is that we got to get the mourners and wailers out of our life. Whatever that is. Because as the Lord is getting ready to take us up to the next level. To bring him closer to him. He can't get done what he needs to get done if there's people that are with you for not the right reason. And so these mourners and wellers, they were there basically because they were on the payroll. They were getting paid. They were hanging out at the house. A couple of them are the ones that ran and met them along the way, said, hey, your daughter's dead. They were trying to freak this man out to send him into a tailspin, make him have a nervous breakdown, keep him off focus because then that allowed them to stay around even longer to keep mourning and wailing and I'm not saying when things happen that we shouldn't cry and we shouldn't weep and we shouldn't weep for others but at some point in time you got to help those people move on to move on and get closer to Jesus they didn't even want him to get close to Jesus they wanted his family to stay far away from Jesus so they could keep mourning and wailing and keep the confusion in their life. So as your story ends, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the two parents, go with the little girl. Jesus grabs the little girl's hand, basically tells her to get up. She stands up, and Jesus very calmly says, just get her something to eat, just like that. All this craziness that was going on, all of the mourning and wailing, people in the way, confusion. And that's why he put those people out. Because he knew that all the mourning and wailing was getting in the way. So I want to leave you with this. I'm going to be back here, God willing, when we play the 49ers in September on a Monday night football. And I hope that the Lord will bless me with an opportunity to come back here on that Sunday. Now, I don't know what the schedule will be, and I got a daughter going to college, and uh, God willing, playing volleyball, so I may be seeing her play and coming for the game. But I want to be able to spend some time here with you then. To sit here and listen to Pastor Dan preach. And I want someone to be able to give a testimony of things that they've put out of their life since today. And the breakthroughs that have occurred. And the mourning and wailing that has gone away. So as we sit down, there was a story recently that I read about a guy by the name of James Robertson black man from Detroit, Michigan, uh, 10 years ago, had some financial difficulties, lost his car. Didn't have a car. He lived in Detroit, but he worked in Rochester, Michigan. It's 21 miles away round trip. For the next 10 years, not 10 days, not 10 months, not a year, for the next 10 years, he walked to work, to and from work, every day five days a week, round trip. People would see him walking. Did it for 10 years. 10.55 an hour he was making. And what was crazy about this story 
is that one day a guy kept seeing him walk, seeing him walk, pulled him over and said, what is going on? I've seen you here in Detroit and I saw you way up here. What's up? He told him. He said, I lost my car, but I got to live. I got a good job. These people are depending on me. So I walked to work round trip 21 miles, five days a week through the winters of Detroit, Michigan for 10.55 an hour. What's crazy about this is that his supervisor never knew that he had lost his car. He never missed a day of work. He never was late for work. So this guy saw him, started this crowdfunding account. And with a matter of days, $350,000 had been raised for him, for Mr. Robertson. And Ford Motor Company then donated him a Ford Taurus. And they interviewed him. And they said, how will this change your life? He said, it'll allow me to get a little more sleep. Because <laughs> I don't have to tell you this. You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to figure it out. If you got to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning, and you live 10 and a half miles away, and you got to walk to work, you're not leaving home at 7.30. You're leaving home at 3, 3.30 to get to work. And when you get off at 5 o'clock, you're not getting home at 5.30 and complaining about rush hour traffic. You're getting home at 9 and 9.30, you're doing it all over again for 10 years, five days a week, never was late, never missed a day of work. So now at the Vikings, we give out an award each month, started it last month, in honor of Mr. Robinson, call it the Skoll Awards, because Skoll is a word in Vikings, a happy word. And we give two employees each a pair of boots. Because what we said is that we want people to put their boots on every day. They go to work. And not complain. But what's, the reason why I tell you that story, one, it just moves my heart but I just read a couple days ago and it was sad that the moment that they raised that money for him and got his car, they said within 20 minutes he had to move out of the apartment that he was living in because people were hating on him so much. They feared for his safety. How does all that mean? What does that mean today? What it means is that as God blesses you, as God speaks to you about turning it loose, about letting him work in your life, people are going to come forward and hate you. They hung Jesus on the cross. So count it all joy. Count it all joy when people talk bad about you when you're doing what Jesus wants you to do. Count it all joy when you listen to the Spirit of God and it causes you to move and people ridicule you because there's only two emotions in life. It's fear and love. And every time someone says something about me or does something about me or writes something about me, I always ask myself, were those words said and written in either fear or love? And if they're love, then I embrace them. And if they're fear, I've written out of fear, I take them as a compliment that says that I must be getting a little bit closer to Jesus. So as you pray tonight, I pray that God will give you the spirit like James Robertson's to do what he wants you to do and to listen to what he's calling you to do. Because I guarantee you, if we continue to get closer to him, no matter what happens, everything will be okay. This is home for me.
I love Pastor Dan and Angie and all of you so much. And you just need to know, when I sit in these boardrooms and sleep in these expensive hotel rooms and New York and around the world and go into these meetings that I'm constantly thinking and praying about CWC and the people here. This is what keeps me going. There's so many good people here who really just need an opportunity. Who just need encouragement. And that's why my tolerance for buffoonery is real low. That's why I can't see people waste money. Waste opportunities. In the world that I live in, in professional sports, at times we do a lot of good things, but at times it's a lot of waste. And I just want you all to know you all are as talented, you're as smart, you're as good as anyone that I ever deal with. So anytime I can come back here, it's almost like when your phone gets low, you know how you get down to like that 3% and the red deal comes on, 2%, and you start panicking, and you start looking around, how can you, you know, you need to find a plug-in. That's how I feel when I come back here. It charges me up to be able to go back to work. And I will... You got my promise. I will continually pray for everyone here that the Lord will continue to move. Thank you for downloading this message. For more information on our church, visit us at cwcbayarea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cwcbayarea.